You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, I invite you to take the book before you. Let's get into it. Let's go to the book of Mark again. We remain in chapter 12, and it's Mark 12, verse 28 is where we're going to head to this morning. We want to hear God's word as we look at our picture from last week. Might be a little dim there. Thank you guys on the lights. Uh, comes from Madeline. Uh, one last week and was picked here. She's got the word marriage there. We were talking about that marriage and do they marry in the resurrection and that, excuse me, that ultimate marriage of the Lamb and His bride, the church of God. And she's got God and the church. And I think even the stable right there, the angel and Mary and Joseph down there as well. Um, God is performing that marriage through the Lamb that was born, Jesus. So thank you, Madeline, for sharing that with us. Others, turn them in. Give them, if you don't see me, put them up here. Put them in a place where I'll find them. Put your name on them. And uh, we love to be reviewed and uh, see where we've been and And now we come to this next section of Mark, chapter 12. I'll start in verse 28. I'm going to read through through really the section here. If you have sections in your scriptures, down to verse 34. Let's hear God's word to us. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Him, any more questions? It's if I was to ask you this morning, as we just read this passage, short as it is and compared to other longer passages, and Jesus' words in this passage, love the Lord your God, familiar to, if I'd say all of us, many of us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I was to ask you on a scale of one to ten, ten being, I, I love him. I'm so, I love the Lord. It, heart, soul, mind, strength, that's ten. Maybe one is, this is really the first time this morning I've even thought about him, or this week, or I don't know that I love him at all. I wonder where you would fit on that scale, or where any of us fit on that scale of this question, following under, coming under this, what to Jesus is one of the greatest commandments given in the scripture and where we look at that and say where do I stand Lord where am I 
Uh, if you're into taking notes and you're writing down, maybe just put the number down. What are you? One to ten. Ten, I'm, where are you at on there? And write that down as we look into this passage and then we look into the rest of the scriptures as well. We're looking here and again, um, verse 28 shows us this scribe comes up uh, to Jesus. Here's, uh, here's how James Edwards describes these scribes again. We, we, right, we've met scribes before already. We, we've been meeting Sadducees, Pharisees, Herodians, chief priests, elders. We did meet scribes, and now, now one comes up. So it would seem here, one arrives. And here's how James Edwards explains these scribes of this day that's coming up to Jesus. Uh, he says, they, quote, combined the offices of Torah. So that's the law. That's the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Combined the offices of law, professor, teacher, and moralist, and civil lawyer in that order. He goes on to say this. It says, commoners deferred to scribes as they walked through the streets. These are the honored people that know the law. They're the teachers of the law. They're the law, lawyers, law, you know. And so as they come down the street, the people on the street kind of oh, make way. Here comes a scribe coming down the way. They were revered and honored. And when it came to matters of the law and commandments, the scribe was the go-to expert. That's the one to go to. And so this scribe, this expert in the law, is now coming to Jesus. This, this one that would be well-versed in the law and commandments. But there's something about this one that's, that just seems different. We don't know all of it right now, this part, but it seems different. Verse 28 kind of shows us this, of this particular scribe. I, he had come upon the scene, I think even seen Jesus debating with the Sadducees, though it wasn't a debate, he just answered them, but that argument going on, I think he saw that. Maybe he was excited to hear Jesus kind of trump these, these Sadducees in favor of the resurrection, like, that was good. He got them good. You know, he, he answered well. Um, and after hearing Jesus and watching him, Mark tells us the scribe even saw that Jesus had answered them well. He sees there's something different about him. And so it, it seems like the scribe, he's been sent to test Jesus. I think we get that from the account in, in Matthew. There's a sense of he came to test, maybe help the Pharisees destroy this teacher. But there's also something in this particular scribe that seems drawn to Jesus. It seems different than the rest that we've come upon, at least in, in our study here in chapter, well, a little at the end of 11 and then into chapter 12. And so hearing and seeing Jesus respond to these other, others, he asked the main question before Jesus, which is the most important commandment of all? Now, in Jewish circles, this was not the only time this question had been asked. This was not a particularly unique question for Jesus. It had been asked before uh, Jesus was around. It would be asked years later after he was around. Um, there were some, I found this in my reading, some 600, and somebody added them up somehow, 613 commandments in the Torah. That's the first, as we said, first five books, 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments. And so certain rabbis, teachers, would try to answer this question, which is the greatest one? Of the 613, which one is it? What's the, the prime one, the greatest? 
You know, wouldn't it be nice to kind of sum this up in one statement? And so the question then comes to Jesus, like other rabbis had answered, so which one do you deem most important? That's the question for him. And Jesus responds first with verse 29. How he responds in verse 29. Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. At first glance, if we just read it quickly, this phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it, it doesn't seem like or sound like much of a commandment. It sounds like more of a statement. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. That sounds like a statement, but it is a command, isn't it? Do you see the command in there? It's hear or listen. Uh, pay attention to. Jesus begins his answer by quoting what is called the Shema. You've ever heard of the Shema in Jewish circles? This This is part of it. This is where... It begins, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so we need to go there, and I want to take you back there. We're going to go a couple other places today, but I do want you to head back to Deuteronomy 6 because Jesus is quoting this Shema from Deuteronomy 6, and in particularly verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. So look there a minute. We're going to see some other things in Deuteronomy in the context, but Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 If you were to read it, you'd really see the same thing. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word shama is really the Hebrew. comes from the Hebrew word shama. That's why it's called. It's the first word, hear. And that's what it means. It means to hear, shama. Shama means to hear or to listen or pay attention to. That's where the title for this shama, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, we won't get into quoting the whole thing in Hebrew. I looked at some of my notes. It's kind of fun, but uh, not the whole thing. So, um, but that's what that you would hear this chant of the Shema, this listen, hear. And so Jesus, beginning with this phrase, he really speaks to what the Jewish people, they already recited both morning and evening. This was familiar ground for them. Uh, one resource says it was kind of like a confession of faith for the Jewish people. And I believe it's really uh, verses 4 through 6 that form this, if you wanted to form the block of the Shema here. And so as Jesus begins his answer, he's not stating anything unfamiliar, but a scripture they would be familiar with in this verse 4. But we want to ask, so they're supposed to hear, they're to Shema, Shema, hear. What do they hear? And that's what verse 4 answers. They hear the Lord our God, number one. The Lord is our God. He is the one. So we've got that. The Lord, our God, he's the one there to worship. He's the focus. And then the second, the Lord is one. Even the scribe, and if you're not in Mark, that's okay. I want you to hang in Deuteronomy here. But even the scribe, when he responds to Jesus, having heard Jesus quote this this greatest of commandments, even he responds and he helps us understand this, the Lord is one by, by saying, um, there's no one besides, uh, there's none besides this God. That gives us an idea. That, in other words, there's no other God. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. He's our God. He's the Lord. He's Yahweh, Jehovah. He's the one we're to worship. One God. There are to be no other gods. And we've read it 
already in Mark 12.30, but as we're in Deuteronomy, let's just read Jesus' answer as it, as it continues because Jesus really continues quoting. So just in Deuteronomy, the very next verse, verse 5, has it here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. I think there's a question being answered here. Why love God or you might say how or why doing that? And loving God, I think, fits right into the summary of the commandments that we have. So we look at verse 5 there, love them. But I want you to go somewhere with me. It's not far. And see this kind of this, this summary of even the Ten Commandments. We're right near them. You may see them on the opposing page or right near there. But there's the commandments. And I want you to look at Deuteronomy 5. Now go back a chapter. Look at 5 verse 6. Somebody ever asked you, just by way of trivia, where are the commandments in the Scriptures? Where are the Ten Commandments? If you double them, you get 20. That's Exodus. Exodus 20, you'll find them. Or if you divide them in half, that's 5. So 10 divided by 2, right? It's 5. Deuteronomy 5. So two places, Exodus 20 you can look, or Deuteronomy 5. We find the Ten Commandments right here before the Shema. And here's, here's what Deuteronomy 5, uh, 6 says and how God really prefaces these commandments. Here's what it says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Does that sound a bit familiar to the beginning of the the Shema? We say, what God? Which God should we serve? Serve the Lord your God. Serve Yahweh, Jehovah. He's the one that brought you out of Egypt, Israel. He brought you out of slavery. There is one God to worship. And then it goes on and we find our first of the four commandments. We typically think of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten. Number one, and I won't read through them all, but just to summarize them. Number one, not hard to summarize, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the idea before them. No no other God besides me. That also sounds familiar to the Shema. No other little gods before me. I'm your God. Number two, don't make any idols. Don't make images. Don't bow down to these things that you fashion with a hand. Those are not gods. I am the Lord. Worship me alone. So don't make any images. Don't make things that you will, it says in verse 9, things uh, you shall not bow down or serve them. That's number two. Number three, don't use the name of the Lord in a wrong way. Don't use it in name. Revere this holy name. Even the name is to be revered of God. Honor the name. When you honor the name, you honor the person. Honor that name. And number four then talks about the Sabbath. To observe the Sabbath. Observe that day is holy. Why? It's a day of rest. Because this Sabbath day, it acknowledges something. It acknowledges God's resting. You're resting from slavering. This is a day of rest, and it honors God by taking this, this day off, this day of rest, this Sabbath day. How might you sum up these first four commandments? You might sum them up with this part of the Shema. Love the Lord your God, right? Don't, don't they fit? And so, uh, not original with me, but in, in one way, this first answer of Jesus, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God is a summary of these first four points of the Ten Commandments. To sum it up, 
Love the Lord your God. So why love God? Well, when you love God, you're really fulfilling the first four commandments. You're honoring Him. You're honoring His name. You're not worshiping any other thing. You're loving Him alone with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the how, really. How are you to love God? That's what Deuteronomy 6, 5, where we were, that's what it answers. And Jesus, how do you love Him? Like we've said, heart, soul, mind, strength. You want to head back to Mark 12, verse 30. Jesus also adds to this, if you're into keeping track, does this quite matches? Are they all the same? Jesus adds to this the words to love God with all your, your mind, as we put in there. I'm not going to get into well, what's the soul, mind, all that, you know, and I don't, I think, I don't think that's the point of what's, What's the point of what Jesus is saying, what Moses is saying? Your heart, soul, mind. Doesn't, I don't know that we need to separate, though we're going to look at them each in just a little bit. Separate them out. It's more of a, a broad statement. To, to, uh, rather than looking at each specific area, uh, it's the entire statement. It's really saying, love God with all you have, with everything about you. From your head down to your toes, your heart to your mind, love God with everything, every area, every part. In case you were thinking there's a part to not love God with, this is the broad statement that says love Him with everything you have. Every area. And I hope we acknowledge here in Mark 12, verse 30, it's a, it's a command of God to love Him. But with the command, with this acknowledgement, I hope also we see when we think about this deeply, we say there's a problem. Uh, if you look at that number, you answer. There, you say there's a problem. I'm not at ten. I'm where am I? And there's a problem. There's a. You mean love him with everything, all I am, head to toe, everything. Love God. There's a problem in Scripture kind of fascinating, lays out this problem of love of God in us. And I just want to briefly, you don't have to go there, you can list them in these scriptures if you want, but I just was thinking, does the scripture talk about heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and our problem of sin? Here's just some. Here's the, here's the problem. So we've got the command and the call, love God, and here's the problem of love in us. How about the heart? I love God with the heart. Here's what Jeremiah 17.9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's a problem of loving God with that kind of uh, diseased, deceitful heart. A sick heart. Desperately sick. What about the soul? Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. Or, here's Jesus' words. Jesus says this in Matthew 10.28. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Very encouraging for our soul. Fear him who can destroy that soul. That, what kind of soul? A heart, soul, and sin. How about the mind? Are we, what about the mind? Here's what Romans 8, 7 says. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. 
Indeed, it cannot. We are stuck. All of us, we are stuck, if not for grace. It cannot, this mind cannot, that's what Paul is telling us in Romans, it cannot submit to the law of God. Maybe our strength, maybe we'll work up the strength. Here's what Jesus says, our same book, Mark 14, 38, says to the disciples, watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So God's commands and laws, they are, as Paul states this in Romans 7, they are holy and righteous and good. We're to delight in these commands. We're not to look at them as drudgery and burdens, but to delight in the commands of God. But we see this problem. They're holy. So Paul's saying, these are good commands. I know we're struggling. We can't, not even struggling. We cannot follow these, but we, nonetheless, we are to. The call is to delight, to enjoy them. And we find throughout Scripture, mankind, men and women, find the Scriptures tell us, children and adults, we have darkened hearts, wayward souls, hostile minds, and we're weak in the flesh. But then listen to this as it ties into where we're at today. I want you to go to Romans 5 with me. I do want you to see this in Romans chapter 5. And specifically here, verses 6 through 11. As we're thinking about loving God, maybe you're thinking about my number on the scale, whatever that is. Love for God, strength, soul, mind, all those things. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Think about this kind of love. For while we were still weak, is that us? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us. How does he show it? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. God shows his love for sinners who did not love in heart, soul, mind, strength. He died for the weak. He died for his enemies, as this is pointing us and showing out here. So in Christ, the command is clear. It's to love the Lord your God with everything. And yet the Scriptures are also clear of our weakness and our sin. If you're still in Romans, I hope you are, just go back up to the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 5. I want to leave these out. I want to see these as well as we think about this. Look at this. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. 
And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 5 says here, it's been poured into our hearts and it answers how it's through the Holy Spirit. We whose mind and soul and weaknesses could not love God with everything. We've been given grace to endure and persevere through the Holy Spirit granted to us. It says elsewhere in Romans, through this law, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, comes a knowledge of sin. So I hope through this little journey of the law, and, and as Jesus sums it up masterfully in Mark 12, again, love the Lord your God, that this brings with it a knowledge of sin. Romans 3.20 says, by works of the law, you know, loving God, I think we could say, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I'm just going to do this, I can do this, just strengthen up to do this. It says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And yet here's the great verse that we need to hear again and again and be reminded of when we want to start saying, in my own strength, I can love God. In my own soul, I'm going to love my mind. I just need to read a bit more and I can love Him. Here's a glorious verse. It's Romans 10.4. You can look it up later. I call it a great trucker verse. You guys that have CBs in your trucks or wherever, and you go, 10-4, good buddy. This is it. This is Romans 10-4, because it's 10-4, good buddy. It's good news. It's, it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What do I do? The law comes knowledge of sin. Who fulfilled all the law? Christ did. He's the end of it. He's the focus. He's the glory. It's His grace that saves so as we head back to Mark 12, 30, what do we do with Jesus' words here? Uh, his words again, Mark 12, 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. What do we do with these words? I, I think, one, we fully believe and obey them. This is a command. We love God with all that we are. For instance, if we need to cut off a hand, perhaps not literally, but we need to cut off a hand to get rid of sin, we do that because the command is to love God. Or a foot, or pluck out an eyeball. You know, we studied that, right? You know to not go home necessarily and start plucking eyeballs, but in that sense of it, it's pluck. Get rid of it. Love the Lord. I don't want to have any other gods before me. So we take a look at the areas in our life where our lives say, I don't love God. We take seriously the command. Here's what John says in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You find yourself loving the world? Come back to the Father. Make sure it's the love of God in me. Come back to Christ. Look to Him again. 
He's the one that does the changing. Verse 16, John says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, aren't I something? It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I think we take this command, we take it seriously. We don't look at it and go, well, I, you know, we take it seriously. It's a command. Love Him with everything. But we also ask, we ask for the ability and grace to do what God commands. There was, you might recall the name, uh, it's called St. Augustine or Augustine, if you've heard that name before back in the, uh, I think he wrote this around 400 A.D., um, you can get his, his book called Confessions. I love how stuff is so free online. You can get these books that guys have written years ago. You can get this. I've not read the whole thing, and I should. And uh, um, I think it'd be worth the time. But here's one phrase in that book, and maybe if you've heard of him, you're familiar with this phrase. But Augustine prayed this way towards God. He said, give what you command and command what you will. I'll read it one more time. It's a prayer to God. It's to God. Give what you command and command what you will. Augustine, he fully recognized God's command. In our case, this one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love Him, have no other gods. Uh, And he recognized that. To have that and to be restrained from the enticement of sin. He wanted to say uh, he needed help. He saw God's command and he acknowledged that God was right to command in that. He says, again, give what you command and command what, we, what you will. In other, in other words, he's saying, command, Lord, whatever you command, that's what you will. I obey. Your commands, I want to obey. But there's, there's another part of that phrase in there. Give what you command because my love is not, it's at a six or a five or a four or a three or a one. Give what you command, asking for that. It's a plea, and it can be ours. Lord, grant the power in us to do what you command. And then I think we thank God for his love to us in sending his spirit into our hearts. Here's what Galatians 5.25 says. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. God's put his spirit in our hearts. We live by it, and we walk by that spirit. So this command is love the Lord your God. The Spirit is working in us to do that very thing, to love God with everything. Here's what 2 Peter says, chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We don't do this on our own. We don't say, love the Lord your God on my own. We can't. It must be by His power. And so God has surely granted us this power to obey, to do what He's commanded, But even in this present body, we groan. The war rages on, but we know the victory is won in Christ. 
Because of this love and this grace, we go on and we love others as we have been loved and shown mercy. You might be wondering at this point in our passage on Mark, how much longer is this going to be? We're only halfway through to verse 30, and that's where I got in my prep and said, I think we just need to stop there. So uh, it's too much to do. We really want to tackle this next part here on loving your neighbor, the second part. And by doing this, I hope you don't see week one and two as disconnected. They are not. Loving God, loving our neighbor is not a, I can do one without the other. We're going to get to that next week, all right? We're going to look at that. But let me encourage you to reread this passage this week. Think about that. Take some time uh, as a family. You've got questions. If you have a bulletin, there's some questions on the bottom Um, most of them will pertain to this Sunday. One, I think, gets into next Sunday, but answer it. Seek it out. Read uh, the Word. Maybe if you're ambitious, read into the book of 1 John because we're going to be in there probably quite a bit next week as we look in this command of loving one's neighbor. We'll we'll base our time in Mark, but we're going to branch out to 1 John as well, how to love your neighbor. So I just simply close with the question we kind of, began with your scale of 1 to 10, do you love God? Is there an area of life, of your life, that speaks loudly, I don't love Him? Perhaps something is ruling your heart instead of Christ? Something you think on more than God? A weakness in your flesh? I just encourage you to repent and turn. Confess it. I think the, the deceiver and the accuser wants to say, yep, you failed at that one again. You've, you've sinned again. And we hear that message enough. The adversary prowls like, you've been in First Peter, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. So how do we do that? We confess, Lord, I've not loved you as I should. I recognize my heart, soul, mind. Look at them, maybe number, what in my heart, in my mind, am I thinking God's thoughts? Confess that to the Lord and then come to Christ. Remember the gospel. This one that calls us to love him has first what? Loved us. He's given his son as a propitiation, a wrath covering, a wrath satisfier in Jesus for our sins. Christ fulfilled it. So fight sin with love. Really God's love. The love for God who has loved you and gave himself for you. Let me pray for us. Father, the, I was praying in two ways here, Lord. The, the temptation coming upon a verse like this uh, is to ask, how am I doing? It, it is, we look at scales, we look at our lives. How am I doing in terms of loving you? Lord, I think that's a good question. It's here, it's a command. Father, before we start answering, help us to remember and not forget your great love, your great work by your Spirit, that you would draw us back to yourself, transforming us into your image, one degree to the next, to see your great glory, eyes unveiled by your Spirit. So Lord, I pray first for everyone in this room, I'm praying, Lord, for unveiled hearts and eyes to see your glory. 
that we not simply obey and simply love you because it's what the preacher told us to do. It's, it's what the Word told us to do. But we do it because we do love you. We really love you with everything. We're not, we're not okay to just be passive in this walk with you. So Lord, I pray by your Spirit, through trials, through things, people, relationships in our lives, that you're boiling out our impurities, Lord, informing us to be people that love you. So Lord, do a work in us, we're praying. That Lord, command what you will, but Lord, we pray with Augustine, give what you command. And Lord, may we demonstrate to those around us that we love you by our love for one another. Guide us, Lord, in this. In Jesus' name, amen.